Welcome to the Leaders in LiDAR podcast series hosted by Umbilical Technology. In this series, I interview senior members of the world's leading LiDAR manufacturers to give you an insight into a misunderstood sensor technology that I and the guests of this series are confident will be ubiquitous in the coming years and providing benefits to society for a wide number of exciting use cases. Good morning, guys. Today, I am pleased to announce that I am joined by Dr. Florian Petit. Florian is the co-founder of a German LiDAR startup by the name of Blickfeld. They were founded in 2017. They develop LiDAR sensors for various applications, including the automotive domain. And they, this time last year, they completed Series A funding which came shortly after winning an innovation award at CES 2020 upon their reveal of the Cube One LiDAR sensor. So, Dr. Petit, uh, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast. How are you today? Good, I'm fine. Zika, I think I'm Florian. So, absolutely happy to go by by that name. Great. Well, everybody. (laughs) Great. Uh, Well, Florian, it's a pleasure having you on uh, the podcast. I think, as you know, um, I recruit into the German technology market um, and regularly see um, Blickfeld appearing on kind of the hottest German startups list, most innovative company list. Um, so, yeah, founded in 2017. It's been an interesting four or so years for you. So help me understand, firstly, because I know previously you were working at DLR, the German Aerospace Research Center. Yes. What led you in 2017 to want to strike out on your own? and to create a LiDAR company? Yeah, so of course my background is the source for the desire to, to, to work in the LiDAR industry. My, I'm a roboticist by heart and by training. I studied here at the Technical University of Munich, went on at the German Aerospace Center. I did research at Stanford University and um, got my PhD from the ETH Zurich all in the area of robotics. And um, I myself did a lot of deep tech controls. Uh, I, I did controls algorithm development, a lot of control theory. And what became clear for me over the course of my um, research is that in my opinion, the real and hardest problem about robotics is not building a machine which looks like a human or a, or, or a car or whatever, yeah. but to build an artificial intelligence and a mechanism and a technology which allows these machines to capture and perceive and then in the next step to understand the world around them. So for me, the key about robotics is a technology which allows the robots to understand the world. And I think LiDAR is here at the very core of these problems, and that motivated me to, to go into that direction. And when you, when you started off with Blickfeld then, was that the, was that the aim? Was it you, were you going to look initially into LiDAR applications for robotics? And is it great growth from there? Or Yeah, you know, in robotics, autonomous driving has been a big topic for a long, long time because of there is basically no difference between a robot and an autonomous car. They all have this core 
um, problem about um, sense, perceive, and act. Okay. Um, so uh, sensing, then coming up with a plan, and then doing something. And that's very, very similar for a range of, of robots, basically, be it humanoids robots or be it autonomous cars. And when I was at Stanford in, in 2007 and eight. Uh, there was this DARPA grand challenge and Stanford was a pretty big competitor in that and, and very, very successful, obviously. So um, this, this, you know, topic of LIDAR and, and understanding the world was omnipresent in this community. And that's how we got into that. And to, to be very open, many of my uh, colleagues went into that direction into various you know topics they wanted to research and work in autonomous driving and um, i think it's it's just a great opportunity to uh, make a really benefit of 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 the whole robotics um research and, and technology one thing you mentioned there with stanford and the darpa challenge um that seems to be a great hotbed of, of talent um, coming from Stanford that's seen or were involved in the DARPA challenge and then moved into, in particular, LiDAR sensor technology domain. I've spoken with a number of individuals that kind of mentioned that Stanford and seeing the DARPA, the challenges there and the technology was really a driving force behind them wanting to get into robotics or in particular and perception for autonomous vehicles using LiDAR technology. Yeah, and Zika, the interesting thing is that um, while, of course, the US is very loud in that regard, if you look at the amount of publications in the robotics field, actually, uh, Japan and Germany are amongst the leaders. So there's wow. an extremely strong community in actually its whole Europe. And, um, and uh, obviously, whole Asia is getting there extremely strong too. And um, I mean, um, so whilst the US is there very, very present, and I absolutely uh, love how, how they push this, these advancement, advancement and the DARPA is a very great example. Actually, yeah. what you also see, I mean, just last week's Apple announced to come to Munich yeah. to put like a huge development center here. And the reason, in my opinion, is because of uh, here in, in, in Germany, in the, here in, the, in Munich uh, especially, there's such a strong community with all these topics around robotics, even if they are not named like that, but with high tech. So um, that's, that was actually also a big, big decision for me. Where would, would I start a company? Yeah. And uh, I'm more than happy to be here in the heart of technology. And I mean, that's not that common, commonly known, but the heart of automotive. That's, I mean, we have all the big players around here, sure. BMW, Daimler, VW is a, uh, a bit to the north and also the all the tier ones continental zf bosch they are all here mm -hmm. so actually it's a it's a perfect spot and um i, I feel absolutely comfortable here oh 100 i think what we're seeing as well more recently is american companies are even kind of creating satellite offices in germany because they've they've seen it's a hotbed for talent they know that there's great experience there so they've been creating offices i mean as you said apple I think I seen a stat that said that Apple spend I think it's 20 billion with companies in Germany already. So it made sense to create that very large manufacturing hub there that they recently announced. And then you've got companies like Luminar, companies like Cruise that have recently set up offices in Munich because they've identified it as a talent hotbed and somewhere where development can really be driven forward. Absolutely. 
So with regards to Blickfeld set up in Munich in 2017, it's been a, a huge period of growth for you. My mm-hmm. understanding is that you're now kind of above 100 employees. Mm-hmm. How's that been for you over kind of the course of three years? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a huge level of growth. So um, maybe a quick step back. So how, why did we get into LIDAR? Actually, in 2017, LIDAR was well on its way. There were many, many already well-funded companies. But what we still saw, where we saw a huge gap, is basically LIDAR has been anyway around for 30 or 40 or 50 years. Sure. The problem about LIDAR for us was not to build single LIDARs. And there are even today companies which go public with uh, building um, amounts like hundreds of LIDAR. We think that's not the, the problem of build, building hundreds of LIDAR. The problem about LIDAR is building millions of them. The question for us wa- was, how can we mass scale the LIDAR technology to a scale where basically it can be t- deployed in every car and there are 80 million cars o- out there. Uh, yeah. So So how can we come up with a technology and that is basically what was the founding idea of Blickfeld, a technology which can be scaled from a production perspective, from a performance perspective and of course from a cost perspective such that it can be deployed in every car. And um, that actually was very well perceived by the whole uh, community and, and, and the investors and that led to the um, fast growth we, we had over the last four years. I mean, we started off pretty classically not in a garage but in the basement actually of my house and and yeah. uh, put the screws it was weren't screws but put the you know the screws together at the very beginning and and pitched it to uh, car companies and pitched it to two tier ones and already back then uh, these guys understood what is the differentiating um proposition we have and what is the difference to the state of the art of the technology mm. And um, I mean, the, the race has been—it's it's been an absolute, uh, absolutely a race. You need um, tons of people to to make that happen. Obviously, it's a technological problem. So you have many, many people about you know working on and researching on in the technology field. Um, but actually, automotive especially is a bit more than pure technology for me. Here, the the problem is not building one mechanism again, which works then you know in a somewhat controlled environment the problem is how can i really scale that to like thousands is not enough ten thousands hundreds of thousands and millions and here i think it's a much more uh, or it can be a, a lot of an organizational problem so how do i make sure the quality is high, high enough how do i come up with processes which are defined such that each of these um, hundreds of thousands of parts is exactly the same that's the hundreds of thousands of sensor is still as good as the first one or maybe um, uh, the other way around so um, uh, there's a pretty big mix I felt at the beginning um, you start with deep tech and then uh, with uh, over the course of the time you come up with all these quality assurance qualification certification issues that's a that's a a thing you don't know at the very beginning or you know you know you you see it on the horizon but you you're not there yet and that is a really exciting uh, journey and and it makes really the difference to to see something a machine in place a production machine in place, a production organization in place, which is qualified and which puts out certified um, devices. That's absolutely fascinating for for me. And that's what I'm super excited about in my team. I think you've touched on something there that's very, very pertinent. I've spoken with a lot of LiDAR companies and during my research, I've seen that one of the main challenges that companies have found is they have a prototype or they have 
one perfect device. When it comes to mass producing that, it's very difficult to have the, the yield rates and the level of quality for automotive especially because of how rigorous the testing are and how rigorous the standards are that you have to achieve. So yeah, that definitely does need to be a focus um, to ensure that you can mass produce and really scale up. So that brings me on to a, quite a good question. Was that the kind of the basis of the technology choices you made there? Um, absolutely. We looked from the very first minute, how can we produce this stuff? And, yeah. you know, again, not, uh, not in a single unit manner, but in a, a large scale production manner. And um, that's, that's absolutely what we, are, we were looking for at the, at the very beginning, also technology wise. We said, hey, um, what are technologies which are hugely scalable? And for example, one of our core components is our MEMS mirror. It's a specifically designed for LiDAR application. We can talk about that in a second. Um, and one core property of it is that it is uh, highly automatically manufactured and made out of silicon. Okay. Silicon is obviously in every device we yeah. have around us, multiple types, uh, types um, times each chips in, in each of the computers and the, the phones in my watch is made out of silicon. And its property is that it's extremely highly production scalable and extremely precise. And we, um, thought and, and we experienced, of course, that this can be applied to the LiDAR technology. And that's one of the advantages we see our technology has. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's a, a common theme that LiDAR companies that are, are being able to mass produce, they're not trying to create new technology or new production processes. They're trying to base their, their technology of things that are already known in the industry. So such as silicon, as you have said, and then just kind of apply it to LiDAR applications. So was that the reason you chose to use kind of silicon MEMS technology? Yeah, what we saw is that um, there's a lot of experience in LiDAR and there was a lot of experience in silicon technology, especially okay. MEMS technology. Yeah. But what was missing in our understanding was the connection. Okay. Like people uh, did not bring, uh, even up to... Up to this time, up to today, struggled with bringing these two domains together. So, yeah. for example, in silicon, it's all about size, but yeah. you want to be as small as possible. <laughs> the more chips you can get on a wafer, yeah. the more cost-effective it is, basically. Yeah. But on optics, it's absolutely the, uh, the opposite. The smaller you are, the less photons you catch, for example, yeah. which, come, which get reflected from the object and come back, the shorter your range is. And these are basically, you know, uh, opposing uh, effects. So if you have a small silicon, you get little photons. That's not what you what you want. What you want to yeah. have is you want to have as many photons as you possibly can have, yeah. and that is contradicting to this to this yeah. um, silicon approach. So and what we did is basically we brought these things together. We built now the biggest possible silicon we can. <laughs> you know, technically built. And that's a huge struggle. And there's a lot of our, of the IP we yeah, have is in there. And um, that gives us a stellar performance in the LiDAR domain. And actually um, you, you'll be able to find other MEMS mirrors out there, um, but um, none of them has the, the optical properties that our MEMS have. And that's our um, secret sauce. It's uh, obviously uh, well protected with many, many patents. And um, we are, even today, 
the um, the single ones which are able to build stuff like that. And you, just to just to dial that back, just to kind of give it a very simple um, explanation of that. So essentially, how a MEMS lidar work is. So a MEMS is a microelectrical mechanical system. Mm-hmm. What that means in a lidar perspective is there's a mirror on a small axis, and that mirror will be used to direct or reflect the the light beam that controls the lidar isn't it exactly yeah. that's that's the basic setup so what you have is always we all we do is direct time of flight so you have a yeah. light source which is a laser because of it you want to have it focused such that it can transport energy with yeah. a high density at a distant point um this laser normally only shoots in one direction and what we want to have is we want to have 3d lidar so what we need is a beam deflection unit which is our mems mirror we need a beam deflection unit to scan basically the uh, laser beam such that we can cover a wide field of view uh, and thereby have a 3d um, scanning and that's where the, the difficulty lies within MEMS LiDAR, isn't it? It's having a mirror that is able to be large enough to do that. Exactly. So um, there are a few things in that. As we just described it first, you want to scan the biggest possible f- field of view. Yeah. So you want to have the widest field of view possible. <laughs> you want to see as much as possible. And therefore, you need to have uh, the biggest possible mechanical scanning angle of your MEMS. So your MEMS should scan the widest uh, field of view possible. Yeah. And ours is they're extremely uh, big. So we can go more than 50, uh, um, 50 degrees plus minus with our MEMS. So we scan more than 100 degrees field of view just with a single mirror. The right. second property is you want to have a long range LIDAR. Yeah. So what you want to do is you want to catch as many photons. So the laser shoots them out over the mirror. They get uh, reflected by the distant object and they come back to the LIDAR. Now, what you want to see is you want to detect these photons and therefore you have to catch them. Of course, we use the best possible detectors, the silicon photon multiplier detectors, but also it depends heavily on how many photons you um, detect. And that depends on the area, on the aperture area. So on the optical um, detection area you um, have available. And that is uh, exactly the size of the MEMS mirror. So what you want to have is you want to have the biggest possible mirror with the widest possible field of view. And that made out of silicon. And that's exactly what we do. And that's what Blickfeld has been focusing on. So all of the technology within your your Cube One sensor and Vision One is all um, proprietary technology that you've developed over the last four years. Exactly, we are developing it. I mean, that's that's one of the components. If you have such a component, it actually gives you a lot of co- cool design freedom. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the beam deflection unit is one of the components. And, and the next very important component is a laser detector module, basically. So you want to emit and then catch again or detect the photons which which have been um, reflected by the object. So around this, actually, there's also a lot of innovation which is possible. So, for example, we designed our laser detector module such that it is, is very similar to an automotive camera. Uh, And the advantage here is, again, in the production. So we can highly and efficiently produce our laser detector module on a highly automated production line in a very similar fashion to to a camera. The advantage is just that it's um, very, very high quality. And secondly, uh, it is obviously very, very cost efficient. 
of course, because it's technology, again, that people are already kind of familiar with. You're just changing the application of it slightly. From exactly. So, so, so I mean, there are existing, um, there's existing production technology equipment, which is highly um, capable. Uh, for example, building more than 200,000 units per year is yeah. not a big challenge for, <laughs> for such a machine. Yeah. And obviously it's a big, it's a game changer for, for LIDARs. And we are just yeah. aiming in, in this direction. We um, have such a machine and we are producing yeah. our um, components on, on such a machine. Great. Yeah. And as you said, that's the main issue, isn't it? And mass production is the what the automotive customers especially are looking for. Um, and that's kind of what where we're going with LiDAR technology at this point. So we've discussed in, de in detail what a, a MEMS system is and kind of what the benefits there are with regards to mass production. But what were the other reasons for you choosing a MEMS system rather than a, a flash LiDAR, which obviously is very similar? And sort of camera technology. So what were the benefits of MEMS view? Yeah. So what we see is um, that the scanning technology, scanning LiDAR setup is very, very beneficial. And we are convinced and we, we uh, as mentioned, we, we see it also in the uh, applications that uh, the scanning LiDAR um, setup will dominate the LiDAR space for mm -hmm. um, quite some time, if, if not... Uh, Uh, if not forever, I'm not going that far, but it's, it's for, for sure going to dominate it for quite some time. And the reason is because of we LIDAR is an active measurement principle. So what we need is we need energy at a distant point and we have to bring it there something somehow. And that is a difficult task. And that's why we use lasers because of they are highly focused and are able to transmit this energy to this distant Um, point. What yeah. we see with the flash concept is that uh, lots of the energy is distributed on a very large uh, field of view. Yeah. And the problem here is that you just need so much energy that you can distribute it yeah. that either your um, emitter is really, really expensive or you just don't get the, the, the right ranges. And that's, I think, exactly what we, what we see. This, these flash concepts are um, extremely limited in, uh, in range. And, and also field of view. And here, just the scanning approach has huge benefits. It gets stellar range and, and an amazing field of view. And that's why we think it's um, the next logical step. I'm not, um, I'm not in, in principle against Flash. So I think there are a few good ideas. And uh, we are definitely for, for maybe in the, the next or the, um, you know, some future version looking, looking yeah. into that direction. But okay. But today we see scanning gives you the field of view. Scanning gives you uh, the range. And especially looking at MEMS scanning technologies, we see here, besides of the production, we see the robustness. And uh, for um, MEMS mirror, basically you have um, almost no abrasion or friction in these devices. <laughs> it's made of, out of monocrystalline silicon. So it's extremely robust and long-lasting. Um, yeah. I think that's also one of the big advantage to the conventional um, scanners, which are mechanical, which have many, many rotating yeah. parts. And the MEMS scanners are basically can last forever because yeah. of there's no, no, no friction or abrasion happening in there. You've touched on most of the main kind of points there as to why a lot of companies like yourself and like others are focusing on MEMS scanning technology 
especially for the automotive domain. I mean, low power consumption, which you don't find in flash LIDARs. And then, as you've mentioned, there's only really one moving part, which is the, the mirror on the axes, whereas a mechanical LIDAR, as you've said, lots of moving parts, lots of possibilities for things to go wrong um, in that regard. So with MEMS, I know you've mentioned there the robustness um, and kind of the, the durability of it. One thing I find a lot of it, what a lot of companies saying is that one issue with a MEMS LIDAR, especially for automotive domain, is kind of vibration and shock concerns because there is still that one moving part on the um, the mirror on the axis. So how have you looked into that and how have you looked to kind of reduce any risk there? Absolutely. So that is an argument we hear a lot. And um, it actually um, um, is, if you look, if you look at out there, where are MEMS deployed? Basically, almost every modern car has multiple MEMS uh, deployed already in there. Um, each cell phone has MEMS in there. Okay. So what I think is is has to has to be said clearly here is that you of course have to design and operate them in the correct fashion, yeah. in the correct manner, such that it can achieve the goal. But there's no principle, uh, you know, um, point why this shouldn't be possible. And and all our MEMS is demonstrating that um, perfectly, I think. So we tackle this vibration and shock issue on multiple levels. First, we have a special mechanical setup, which allows to decouple the optical properties and the optical axis from the mechanical uh, properties in the mechanical um, axis. So what happens, even if the system vibrates yeah. uh, or or the LiDAR vibrates, basically our optical um, system will not have, it will have only very, very small influence on our optical system. Yeah. And the second thing we do is we have a um, full feedback controlled MEMS. So we know uh, each microsecond where okay. it is pointing, basically. We have... Um, uh, feedback controller which allows us to on the one side control our field of view that is the the big benefit but also on the other side to dampen out any um, errors which which are for example shocks and vibrations and then one other thing that i wanted to discuss in particular was the um the wavelength that you're working on Mm -hmm. um my understanding is that the the cube one uh, and the vision mini is that 905 nanometer Exactly. So we are using 905 uh, laser diodes. The reason is, again, purely uh, uh, production and cost driven. So our mirrors, for example, in our general technology is agnostic to the wavelength. We could also use other wavelengths like 1550 or whatever you desire. But we just see that, uh, for example, 905 nanometer lasers are extremely cheap so you can get for a few bucks uh, a laser diet and this allows you to build a very very um, cost efficient uh, lidar whilst if you want to use a 1550 nanometer source uh, i know there are many players out there saying it will be super super cheap Um, if if there is we are more than happy to use it but at the moment we don't think it's possible to use it in automotive applications from the cost perspective yeah what i've seen is that with automotive applications in particular there's been talk a couple of years ago that creating an automotive lidar that can see 200 250 meters with a laser source at that wavelength 905 some said it was it would be very difficult if not impossible it had to be higher 
has it been possible for you to do that because of your proprietary technology or so i I mean, I mean, it's photonics. Yeah. Uh, it's physics. I don't know why. I, I don't, I'm not aware of a physical uh, law which says it's not possible to go beyond uh, this, yeah. this range. <laughs> um, I, but, but I also, for example, agree that um, with uh, other setup, it's e easier to go to a higher ranges. Yeah. But um, I think that's always the case with a technical system for, for these yeah. uh, other, there are lidars today which can go way more than a kilometer or two or maybe wow. some go even to the moon right <laughs> but um for sure they will not be deployed in the car yeah. for us the question is how do, do you get to a range which is sufficient for a car which will be for sure uh, beyond 100 meter well, that's what we also demonstrated um many many times yeah. but it also has to be uh, to tick the other boxes it has to be robust enough to get into the car and it has to be cost efficient enough to get into the car our goal is not building 10 units or 100 units our goal is to build really a hundred thousands of units and a million of units and um, here we have to it's a very very narrow circle where you have to uh, you know um, hit in <laughs> and um, uh, it's it's a compromise between many 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 variables as it is in every technical system yeah. and I'm absolutely sure that it's not about going uh, you know 500 meters with a lighter that doesn't make sense at all especially yeah. because of the downside is that you have to pay for it like money wise and that is what uh, the, the car makers uh, understandably don't want so for mm -hmm. us it's here getting the right range with the right um, other technical parameters like field of view resolution and uh, it of course also the price range that's always been one of the main issues surrounding integrating lidar technology into a vehicle isn't it both kind of the how small the system will be and then also how cost effective it will be i mean lidar primarily so far has only really been found in your your more premium vehicles yes. where cost for components can be higher but you're looking to change that yeah, exactly. You're, you're touching a few interesting points here. So size is the other one. I mean, if you have a laser diet, which is, uh, you know, a square millimeter big, uh, it's very easily understandable that it can be integrated in a very, very small package. And that's what we, for sure. example, exactly demonstrated in our Vision Mini, which is uh, five by five by five centimeters, yeah. which is two by two by two uh, in, in inches. Yeah. And um, if you would, for example, use a different laser source, um, this would not be possible at all. Yeah. So um, a high integration is really relevant. I mean, if you look at the application, um, we are, I mean, the one thing is the front-facing application, but we are absolutely talking about, you know, level four driving, level five driving, and even for level three driving, we need to see around the car. We have a cocooning or a 360 degree um, field of view around the car and not in one sensor. It will not be mounted on the rooftop. It yeah. will be <laughs> mounted on the, on the hot corners, on the lights be, be below the uh, back mirrors or on, on similar positions so you have to be able to mount multiple of them and of course to hide them and here size is uh, very very important and that is that that's a definitely a requirement for a lighter and that's what what we are ticking to i wanted to discuss that actually the vision mini system which as you have mentioned isn't for front-facing applications it's for kind of side-facing, surround-view applications. In my experience, I've not really seen many LiDAR, LiDAR applications for side-view. It's usually for front-facing. So there are, many, are there many OEMs that are looking into LiDAR for side-view as opposed yeah. to radar or camera? 
actually, um, we see here two applications. So uh, one is the pre-crash um, pre warning. Yeah. Um, that that is um, for several years already is something uh, which which has been deployed and which is in the talks and it will come more and more and more. So okay. that's one of the the big applications is, is pre-crash warning. This uh, goes normally uh, not uh, around the complete car, but it's also somewhat front-facing or in the in the front uh, half of the car at least. Yeah. And then on the other side, um, yes, you're right. Uh, for level three applications, um, the uh, what you hear the most is the front-facing LiDAR. Um, but what we see is that also here um, car makers are requiring uh, or getting a more um, distinct view on the on the whole topic. So they are not uh, anymore requesting, you know, one LiDAR which can cover everything just because of its, for example, cost-wise, very, very hard to achieve. But uh, they use for... Um, a series of devices which they can deploy. And one is, for example, a narrower front-facing um, LiDAR and then um, substituting or, or um, accompanying a, a LiDARs, which can have a mid-range, for example. And that's exactly where the Vision Mini hits, uh, which is a, a, a shorter mid-range LiDARs. And of course, uh, and that happens more and more too, they are looking for short-range sliders for, you know, understanding um, what is happening around the car. So we see a, a lot of drive uh, in this direction for mm -hmm. the passenger car uh, market. Yeah. And then there's, of course, this, this, this shuttle market and yeah. the shuttle uh, and the shuttles and robo-taxis, and they definitely need uh, a 360 degree in a cocooning um, system. They have to see and understand what is happening around them in a very clo uh, close uh, in the close quarters. Yeah. So, is it a biker? Is it passengers mm -hmm. or stuff like that? Um, that's also where the Vision Mini um, fits perfectly. And just for kind of the listeners' understanding, why is it that a passenger car may not need kind of surround view lidars, but a shuttle or a robo taxi? It's kind of imperative that they do. Oh, they they'll definitely need it. Yeah. Um, they'll need it, for example, for pre-crash, and uh, they'll they'll need it uh, at some stages of the driving experience. If you are going towards level four, and I think there's a strong push into that direction, you will need to be able to understand all the time what is happening around you all uh, around you. Uh, why it is it already needed for shuttles today is that shuttles are exactly in this level four or level five domains already today. Really? For passenger cars, it will take, uh, I don't know, three, four, five years until we are there, which is actually pretty close because of these projects start more or less today and they, they get requested today. But shuttles are today, I mean, they are produced in much lower numbers. The development cycles, I think, are much uh, or somewhat lower, somewhat shorter, and especially they have been started um, to to be developed uh, quite some time ago. So they are already at a step where passengers' cars in these high volumes will be just in three, four, or five years, maybe. Definitely, yeah. I think we've seen kind of ZF in Germany. They've um, they've already began testing on the roads um, some of their shuttles. I think in Friedrichshafen and Karlsruhe, I think they're testing some of their um, to get their shuttles. Uh, in those cities, and I think they have they have lidar technology um, working on a 360 basis there. And yeah, actually, I, I mean, uh, sh shuttles shuttles have been not only deployed in Germany, but I think all all around the world. I mean, in, in France, there are um, two big 
shuttle manufacturers in the US, obviously there are several, but also in, in Japan and China, yeah. shuttles are a, a thing. I think it makes absolutely sense. They are testing how it works. They are not trying to get a domain where where you instantly have to deploy millions of, of units, which is yeah. obviously a very hard challenge. Building a few shuttles, so like dozens or hundreds, I think makes makes sense and, and it's an interesting um it's not even a playground it's not mm -hmm. only a playground it's it's it, it, it i think it can be a business and oh, sure. they you they need it today yeah definitely i think the applications like kind of in airports and things of that nature kind of moving people around in in large numbers i think definitely shuttles will you'll start seeing them a lot more over the next kind of year or so if not already Umbilical Technology. We help leaders of organizations at the forefront of innovation secure talent ahead of their competition. So obviously you mentioned the Vision Mini and LiDARs for side view. For the, for the listeners, why is it that you can't just use a camera or a radar sensor for side view? Why is it that LiDAR has to be included for surround view applications as well? I think the big benefit of LiDAR is just the... Um, high data density they produce. Yeah. They produce, it's so high definition. You get so many data points, which yeah. is just so rich information about the environment, uh, which is necessary and extremely valuable to, to deciding about safe actions. I mean, autonomous driving is all about safety. You want to be able to make the safest decision possible. Yeah. And therefore you need the richest data sources. And LIDAR is just producing so rich and so high density data that um, it is, I mean, there's, I, I think there, there's no way around it in an yeah. automated or autonomous car. Definitely. I think what LIDAR has the benefit of doing that camera and radar don't is that obviously, firstly, it's 3D, but the benefits that LIDAR have that are, so prevalent and needed for autonomous driving is the the object detection and classification piece that obviously cameras and radars can sometimes lack or can have find difficult in certain situations absolutely i, I completely agree and with regards then to kind of your situation you have the autonomous dr driving products as yeah. well um kind of the vision mini as you've said and the other um, autonomous driving uh, lidar sensors but one thing i did want to touch on was the other applications that you're working on there um, at Blickfeld, which LiDAR has so many applications that are so interesting. So what other applications are you working on there that kind of you see as just the best and most interesting use cases of LiDAR? I mean, we are just to end this this automotion automotion uh, uh, session stint yeah. we are absolutely fascinated by by self driving we oh. think it has such a huge benefit for the whole um, you know community for for, for the society and uh, for the economy that we are absolutely fascinated by it i mean it's obviously a huge technical challenge but i think we are really really getting there our technology is perfectly suited for um highly automated driving for the autonomous cars it is made for this scale of this business and this endeavor it's made to be deployed in millions yeah. that's why we are so fascinated by autonomous driving but on the other side we see that lidar and 3d technology is just um has in many 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 different areas basically wherever where where is in space it can 
create benefit. And that's basically in, in, in every other domain, but here on the screen and, and, uh, on a painting, a painting on the wall, wherever you are in a, in a space where there's 3D relevant, you can do something uh, meaningful and useful with, uh, LIDARs. And that's just where we deploy it. We see that the industry has the, uh, they require, they require, um, a 3D perception technology to solve various tasks. And that's just what we're doing. We, um, build our, um, Blickfeld Q1, which is, uh, also a very small unit. It's five by eight uh, by six centimeter big. So it fits on a business card. It can yeah. be easily deployed. So for example, we have at the moment a big deployment in uh, Frankfurt uh, airport, which is, um, I think the biggest uh, airport in, in Germany. Yeah. And for example, there, what it does, it, it counts people. It yeah. helps to make the place, um, safer and uh, cleaner and better organized by understanding what is happening there and, and, and that in a perfectly privacy preserving manner. So we cannot um, detect exactly who the identify exactly who this person is. What we can do is we can detect that there is a person we can count in and then we can, um, you know, uh, for example, manage better the, the resources at the counters and the security checks and, and stuff like that. And um, there are many, many applications coming from people counting. I mean, obviously, you can count cars and, yeah. and, and public traffic, too. So it's deployed on the streets and you can. Um, deployed in uh, supermarkets, you can deploy it in sports stadiums, just to understand the environment, uh, you know, uh, um, understanding to, to capture what is happening around them to organize these places better. And, um, but there are many other applications, like, for example, you can um, deploy, deploy it with, um, in, in the robotics field. I mean, just humanoid robots, armed robots, I think they are coming and robot arms are coming more and more in the industrial domain. But for example, one thing we are super excited about is the drone space. We, uh, to our understanding, have the lightest LiDAR. It only, the Vision uh, Mini only weights less than 200 grams. Oh, wow. um, the, it's perfectly suited for drones um, for um, various tasks. Sense and avoid is one of the tasks. Landing spot observation is one of the tasks, but also for mapping, for example. Cool. There, um, people use it to to mount it under the drone and capture the uh, terrain and, and and make a map out of that definitely so do you see kind of the the systems that you have already the, the vision mini cube one do you see them being able to kind of be used across the board in a wide range of applications as you've mentioned there that's that's uh, what our aim was in um, designing it yeah. So we tried to build not a LIDAR for one de domain. We tried to build a LIDAR for all the domains. We tried to make it as flexible as possible. And for example, our adjustable field of view is um, such a feature which allows them to adapt to the specific application. So with our LIDARs, you don't get a fixed number of scan lines, but you yeah. can basically choose uh, the number of scan lines you have. So you ca can adjust even from frame to frame how many scan lines you want to have in your 3D uh, um, 
point cloud. Yeah. And that makes it just perfectly uh, adaptable. So, for example, what you could imagine is if you are um, scanning a building, you can make a very high definition scan with yeah. many, many scan lines, multiple hundred, hundred scan lines per frame. And then in the next instant, you want to find out if somebody or how fast somebody is, is running or um uh, a, a vehicle is, is driving by and you just switch to another mode where you get less uh, um, scan lines and yeah. much higher frame rate and thereby can detect very fast motions for example yeah. so we tried and and it, it goes on with the software features we have for example so each of our cubes comes with a web GUI so you don't even need like an extra software you just plug it into your into wow. your uh, computer you get a web uh, open your browser and you can adjust all the parameters or even see the point clouds yeah. um, coming coming out from that I think you've, you've touched on something really interesting there, kind of the configurability and how easy it is to change the kind of the scan lines or the frequency and things of that nature. So you, you've not created a wide product line. You have a handful of products that are all highly configurable. And again, I take it that, that the decision there to make them configurable was made because it's very easy to mass produce just a couple of products rather than a kind of 10 or 15 um, that, that's exactly the point. What we try yeah. to build, we try to build a really configurable, um, like software configurable product. Yeah. Uh, the user should be able to choose for his application what he needs. And we don't have to come up and build a new, and even, and even possibly even event a new device, but we yeah. take the one device. And one clue for that is software. So what we yeah. see is that uh, our software needs to be extremely flexible. And for example, the on-device software is extremely flexible. It allows you to choose um, the, the properties like which hasn't been there yet, right? Um, scan lines always have, have been fixed in LIDARs. Here you uh, suddenly can adjust them and configure them. Mm -hmm. But it goes even beyond. You mentioned it already. It's about detecting and classifying and identifying um, maybe um, uh, objects. And that's what we agree um, fully to. Yeah. So uh, what we see is that most people, especially in the industry domain, um, domain have a hard time, you know, deploying LIDARs us because of it's hard for them you know to make use of they they don't have the capacity to uh, you know hire 3d point cloud specialists and make their solution what we try to do there is we tried to do the job for them we are providing software pieces which um allow them to adjust the LiDAR to, and to configure the LiDAR and go even further to do uh, the, to, to solve their problem. So, for example, for um, the Frankfurt Airport, we our software um, gave out already um, basically an object list. So it yeah. evaluated the point cloud, detected the object, uh, classified them, tracked the persons in that, in that case, uh, we had gates there, which which allowed them to count the people, and all they 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 got was the enriched information. They don't even see the point cloud anymore. <laughs> what they get is the 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 finished uh, you know um, uh, the finished data points, which can be analyzed. And th I think that is a very very important thing that we are not anymore talking about this low level hardware uh, you know component, which is 
super cool and super important. Okay. And there's a lot of things to do. But we see that we have to get, we have to enrich it with a software. We have to provide the, the, the people the software. And it starts with the industry. And I'm actually convinced that it um, will go on. Okay. It will go on uh, also in the automotive domain. Um, people will ask for smart sensors. Yeah. People will ask for sensors which can even um, run a software on a low level yeah. and we are exactly taking uh, the steps in that uh, direction so uh, very soon uh, Zeke I hope this interview will not be aired too yeah. too soon <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll uh, have a, a press release coming out in the okay. next uh, weeks maybe we, we need to talk uh, back, <laughs> back, uh, you know in the back office about uh, yeah. how, we, how we do that but um, I, I, guess, I guess when this interview will be aired we will already have released that we are um, uh, that users will be able to run algorithms down on this device. Okay. Uh, we we have algorithms which do pre-processing for the for the users, yeah. um, which help them um, solve their application, and they are running already on the device, which makes That's life cool. much much easier for them. For sure, yeah. I think what you've touched on there makes perfect sense. I mean, not only providing the the lidar sensor system, but providing the the data that the lidar provides just provides so much more benefit. And I think the Frankfurt Airport uh, use case there, I think that's something that's going to become so prevalent as kind of sensor technology becomes more widespread. I think people counting um, and kind of traffic monitoring, they're areas that the data that a LIDAR can bring will greatly kind of benefit kind of how we go about the world in terms of kind of just, yeah, as you've said, making things cleaner, making queues less at kind of busy times and things of that nature. And obviously, obviously that comes from the data that the LIDAR provides and that your software provides. Exactly. I think um, the world, oh, what we're always trying to do is to organize it a bit better. Yeah. And therefore you need to understand what is there. And then you can take the right measures out of that. And if you're in, in, in the Frankfurt case, basically we try to understand wh where are the people, what are the people doing, where are they going? Yeah. Out of that, we can m make measures such that we can organize the whole place better. And a yeah. better organized place make it, made it made makes it more tidy, makes it more secure, and uh, makes it more efficient. And that's exactly the goal there. Definitely. And it, it, but but there, I mean, it, it goes on and on with the application list. Uh, we touched uh, traffic management, uh, yeah. where where we ha where you have the same problems. I mean, sure. just try what what uh, or see what infrastructure wise we're doing for an effort to organize traffic. I mean, we're putting traffic lights every 100 or 200 meters, right? And yeah. um, I mean, if you organize that be better, I mean, it, it, it's not very hard to understand that you can get a much more efficient system. That's a thing we are really looking into uh, how to optimize the city of the future, how to make it more livable. That's, that's a, a thing which, which makes totally sense. It can also go in the other direction, for example, for the security applications. I mean, um, uh, obviously, there's a need to protect uh, our property and, yeah. um, you know, doing that in an automatic and very um, safe and secure way. That's something which is actually pretty simple for the LIDAR and much simpler yeah. as it is, for example, for camera technology, because of, for example, it doesn't need active lighting or it has, uh, LIDARs are extremely good in detecting uh, the 3D environment. That's yeah. exactly what they are uh, made for. So we think that is very, very interesting too. And one thing I wanted to touch on there was actually you said the, the people counting and the smart city application, which will become more prevalent in the future. Why is it that LIDAR 
from a privacy perspective? Why is it that LiDAR is so much better suited than, say, a camera, which is more typically found in a, in a city at the moment? Yeah. Um, so the interesting thing is that uh, humans are very well trained in understanding 3D uh, and 2D color images. Humans yeah. are very well trained in understanding 2D color images and um, thereby they can recognize faces. Yeah. Whilst the LiDAR does not provide a 2D image, it provides a 3D basically silhouette or a 3D point yeah. cloud it's called. So it's a 3D shape. And from this 3D shape, it's almost impossible to detect who this person is. So you can classify it, you can detect this person, you can classify it as a person, but you cannot identify who this person is. So it's LIDARs are extremely or absolutely privacy protecting. Yeah. They don't reveal the identity of the persons. And I think especially in public places like airports, it gets more and more important that um, people can move around there, that you can use, you know, that uh, can capture them and, 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 and gather data about them, but it has to be absolutely anon uh, anonymous. So privacy has to be protected. And that's where we think, the LIDARs will be deployed more and more and more. People will understand and governments will understand that the LIDAR is the way to go in public spaces to gather data and it's not the camera. And that's why we think that LIDARs will have a, a huge, you know, um, and, and very bright future for such applications where it's about people in public spaces. For sure, yeah, because you're still getting the actionable data um, to make things more efficient, but you're still protecting the privacy of the individuals that you're capturing on the street or in the airport. Exactly. So that's why it's so beneficial uh, in that regards. And look, just a kind of a final, I think we've covered a lot here, but one, one thing I want to discuss and get an answer from you in a little bit more detail. With regards to autonomous driving, as we all know, LiDAR is a, a necessary sensor that's required for um, autonomous driving to reach level three, level four, level five. So, when do you expect to see level four, level five cars on the road for you and I to be driving? Well, not driving, but traveling in, so to speak. Okay. So traveling in, uh, I think it will be not so long uh, away because of this yeah. can be shuttles. Uh, okay, sure. sh yeah. Shuttles in the inner cities uh, are, you know, sometimes deployed even today i understand yeah, it's not it's not it's not uh, hundreds it's maybe yeah. dozens um but uh, i think for 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 us it's already today possible or i'm sure yeah. for us it's already today possible to travel <laughs> level 5 uh, yeah. in but but i guess that's not what everybody i i mean if i if i uh, tell it to my little uh, um cousin <laughs> who is 10 years old he'll um he'll have a different imagination of what it means to travel yeah. so i guess the question is when will it be deployed in passenger cars and i think yeah. it's not so far away i'm i'm still very um convinced that it will comes over certain use cases so for for example traveling on the highway is such a use case or traveling in a certain um, private area, like in a private uh, on a on a private property, uh, which has to be large enough, and an airport, for example, such is, could be such a property. Sure. And I think that's not so far away. I I think it will t take uh, two or three years, and and we'll be there. Um, the question is, when will the 
full self-driving or, or highly automated driving be deployed in the passenger car. And this will take a, a few years longer. So yeah. I guess here we are talking about three, four, five years time range at yeah. least um, to be there. Yeah, I think my my view is probably 2027 for kind of cars that you and I might be able to buy. But yeah, as you have rightly said, you know, Waymo have already got cars out or shuttles out on the road in Phoenix. I think you can see Cruise and Zooks have already started testing as well on the road. So shuttles especially, um, I don't think will be far away in public locations. In private locations, as you have said, there's there's already some out there already. So look, definitely an exciting time for the automotive sector and for LiDAR sensor technology that's driving that autonomous driving. And then the other use cases, I think, will just continue to see growth in them as um, as kind of the benefits of them become more apparent to governments and organizations. Absolutely. Um, well, look, I think look, this is a great educational podcast. I think I've learned a lot. Um, I'm sure the listeners have as well. Um, I want to mention that the Blickfeld um, website, and there's a blog on there that you contribute to yes. uh, and some of the other members if anyone wants to learn about LiDAR, that is a great place to start. It's got a, a depth of kind of different applications and use cases. Um, but yeah, I know you're very active on LinkedIn as well. Yes. Is, some, is it possible for kind of people to add you and kind of ask any questions that they might have to yourself? Absolutely. Uh, I'm convinced that it's a community effort. Uh, I sure. think uh, that, um, I mean, I, we, we tried, I try to learn about every <laughs> use case I possibly can find about every application and I try to, to write about it and, and, you know, um, just show my view uh, about it. And I'm super happy if somebody comes up with a, a new application, actually. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, we, we have many, many customers and they also come with very, very cool applications. Uh, we, we talked about people counting. The funniest applications we saw was somebody wanted to count camels and came to us whether he, it would be able to count camels. And I, I mean, wow. that's uh, so, somewhat exotic, but yeah. it just shows the range of applications which are out there yeah. if you have a great application don't hesitate to contact me in any way or via linkedin or uh, um, via twitter or via our homepage too yeah um i'm absolutely happy to discuss it and and to see if our technology can 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 fit there and uh, i mean maybe we can also write a blog post uh, together <laughs> about that um definitely yeah. super excited about it <laughs> i mean is is that possible Kind of counting camels, I take it it would be. I, I mean, for, for, it, it's not a big problem. I, yeah. I, actually, what we found out that it's a very common problem to um, count stock. Um, okay. So kettles and stuff like that, they need to be counted on a regular basis for, for various um, tasks, just, you know, to, to find out if, if every cow came back from, from, <laughs> yeah. from their feed uh, on, yeah. on, on, on the, on the green, right? So it's a very common problem. And for the lighter, it's no problem at all. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I mean, we, we, we can, I mean, it's a big, it's a big animal too. So yeah. we can easily detect it and. Yeah. Easy point cloud, I imagine for that. Easy, easy point cloud. Exactly. <laughs> And how would you do that? Would you kind of you mount it on kind of a high building near the near the farm or would it be a drone? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, um, normally we mount it on the infrastructure because of then um, like cattle or, 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 or um, um, camels go, go often the same way. And yeah. then um, it's a bit elevated. So let's say between three and six meters, it's, it's way enough. Then you have a, you point our lighters directional. So you point it down. You, um, we would probably switch the mode, so have a high resolution mode just to to understand the scene, and then we we would go in a fast scanning mode to have. Uh, I mean, if if a cow is coming uh, uh, through a hectic, then yeah. then we also um, cover that, um, and then we use our software um, as. As mentioned, we would already um, here use our low-level filter features, which which would give you the moving um, uh, cattle, or yep. or and then we would um, in, the, in the next step um, detect it and and maybe classify there. Uh, Great! Wow! Yeah, I didn't expect to kind of hear a use case like that. That lidar can be used for everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just sure. fascinating. <laughs> Great! And you mentioned earlier on that there'll be some news. And going forward from yourselves about the automotive domain. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Absolutely. I mean, automotive is just so exciting. Uh, sure. We, I, I would say they, they had a pretty tough last year. I mean, I like, like everybody in the domain, <laughs> but what we see now that it's picking in such a high pace that mm-hmm. uh, it's actually breathtaking. And uh, we, we, I'm absolutely sure that that it will um, that we will see big things coming uh, even this year, and uh, Blickfeld, uh, that's what I can spoil will be a part of it. For sure, look, and that will I take it that will be announced kind of on your LinkedIn and across the kind of the news as well. Exactly. I mean, we are pretty open about what we do. Uh, we yep. try to to, as I mentioned, gather the community and 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 have everybody, you know, at least um, the information they need to to do a good work. And we try to um, uh, create value here with our technology, and uh, that's only possible through a great team and great partners. And that's what we're trying to build. Look, I'll definitely keep my eyes out for that. And that's the reason that I've done this podcast as well, because it's such an exciting space. And I think that because of comments that have been made in the past by kind of Elon Musk and whatever, you kind of a lot of people underappreciate and don't quite understand LIDAR technology. So this was a way to give back and educate the community about LIDAR technology and all the all the fantastic use cases. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's I, I, there's so many benefits. I it's um, I think th- that's something you learn in technology. It seems always black and white, but it's not at all. Uh, there's many, many, many benefits, and uh, the, uh, we need creative minds to um, come uh, to to find them and come up with them and then solve them. And that's our goal. Oh, well, look, I think it'll be an exciting year for sure. Um, and I think what we'll do, Florian, um, kind of maybe back end of the year or this time next year. I think it would be good to revisit the podcast guests uh, and see kind of how the developments have gone. Because I think it will be a very big year for LIDAR technology and sure. all the different use cases. Sounds like, a good, sounds like a good idea. Absolutely. For sure. Well, look, it's a pleasure having you on. Uh, wish you good luck for the year and the new announcements. And as, as I said, I'm sure we'll catch up uh, in the near future to see how things have gone uh, throughout 2021. Zeke, thank you very much for having me. It was a great conversation. Thanks for all the good questions and looking forward to end of the year when we catch up. No problem. Look, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thank you.